everyone, G-Money here, futurist disruptor ape, and your source for all things NFT. You're tuning into the Cutting Edge Podcast, where we discuss the importance of the emerging NFT market with culture's most influential people. Whether you want to know about the next biggest drops or just want to know the basics of where to start, the Cutting Edge can help. It drops every week after our live shows, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitter. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. Hey guys, welcome to The Cutting Edge, where culture meets crypto. Today, I'm joined by the co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory Studios. He's an expert at creating content, community, and value from scratch. And he's achieving all of that again with the Founders Creed. His first drop of the collection, The Legendary Key, launched last week on October 13th and has already sold out. Please welcome Tom Villeu. Hey Tom, how you doing? Welcome to the show. What's up, dude? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, big fan of your work and uh, everything you're doing within in the space. I guess for for those that aren't too familiar with who you are, if you could give a, a brief background of a little bit about you and and then more importantly, like how you found NFTs and and found your way into the space. Yeah, for sure. So I'll thumbnail sketch and then anything you want to dive into, just let me know. Uh, I went to film school and thought it would get the three picture deal when I graduated. I sadly did not. And uh, I ended up meeting these two very successful entrepreneurs and they said, look, you're coming to the world with your hand out. If you want to control the art, you have to control the resources. So come with us and get rich. And I was like, yes, that sounds absolutely amazing. Let's do that. I thought it would take 18 months. It took 15 years and multiple companies, but it actually did end up working. And the, the sort of interesting part of the arc is so i spend the first almost decade just chasing money showing up every day saying i'm here to get rich so that i can go build this studio but wasn't worried about whether i loved the company that i was building or not uh to get there and so finally going and quit long story short they felt burnt out in the same way that i did so we decided to do a whole different kind of company that was predicated on adding value and asking a different kind of question so in like the mindset entrepreneur space People always tell you to ask the question, what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? And it just became really apparent to me that failure was not only an option, it was the most obvious option. And statistically speaking, is almost certainly what's going to happen. So you better love the struggle. So I started asking myself, what would I do and love every day, even if I were failing? And so we built a company that was predicated around that. So trying to add value to people's lives. I love community building. So doing something around community. I'm a storyteller at heart. So even though it was a protein bar company, we had a whole studio built inside of it. We were making all of our own content before that was the thing. It was super weird, but it was really fun. And by focusing on adding value instead of just trying to make money, irony of ironies, we end up building this huge billion dollar business and finally actually had the finances to build my own studio. So left Quest five years ago, started Impact Theory. And along the way of you know learning about business um, and working in the inner cities a lot, just realized that about 2% of the people that if you just say, think like this, act like this, and it will make your life better, 2% will do it. It's 
life-changing for them. It's absolutely incredible. But as somebody who's obsessed with scale, I just couldn't let go of what would it take to reach the 98%. And you start realizing from brain science, you have to get out of the logic centers of the brain, get into the emotional centers of the brain, start thinking about different periods of brain development, which will end up focusing you on what's called the age of imprinting, which is 11 to 15. And so as we began to build out the studio with our why of making sure that nobody makes it to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset, we pivoted to focusing on kids through storytelling and doing what Disney did, which is really quite incredible, to be honest, which is tell one kind of story over and over and over from a thousand different angles. And by doing that, they were able to create the most magical place on earth. And so we want to answer the question of, can we do the same thing, but tell a different kind of story and create the most empowering place on earth? And so that was the founding of the studio. And at the beginning to explain how we got into NFTs, I told the team, look, our job is to stay in business long enough to figure out our moment of disruption because we're going up against Disney. We've got a 90 year head start. They've got billions of dollars in IP, billions of dollars more in revenue. And so it is going to be a very tall order to disrupt them. Um, and NFTs and the Web3 movement in and of itself really presented that moment. And so from the time that I heard the letters NFT strung together for the first time uh, to when we had allocated millions of dollars in development was 72 hours, uh, it just seemed immediately apparent to me that this was going to be the change that we'd been waiting for. Wow. That that's awesome. I, and I, like, I want to commend you on uh, just realizing how important NFTs were going to be that quickly. So I guess like my first question is what, when, when did you first hear about NFTs and how did you hear about them? So February of this year. So I had heard uh, probably six years ago. Now I met a guy, and he showed me this thing he called V Adams. And he was like, this is going to be huge. Look at this. You can have this icon uh, on your phone. And it, let's say it represents a quest bar. And he was like, and you could give it to somebody else and they can go and redeem it for a real quest bar because this thing called the blockchain can prove that they really have it. And so something digital now can actually be scarce. And I remember saying to him, that's going to change my business forever. And at the time, though, I was still at Quest. And so I promptly ignored it because I was like, the technology isn't ready yet. Super interesting. And I see where this is going, but just was so busy with other things. Didn't think about it. Now, of course, I want to punch myself in the mouth that I didn't <laughs> go in immediately. Uh, so when I reheard about it in February as NFTs from somebody that uh, her name's Lindsay, amazing human being, super fucking bright. And she was just like, you must look into NFTs. And so... Uh, looked into it and was like, this is that digital scarcity thing. I know exactly what this is. And yeah, we just, we pivoted literally on a dime within 72 hours and said, we now, everything that this company does, we do through the lens of NFTs. I mean, that, that's awesome because I think one of the, the conversations that I have a lot with like organizations and I guess celebrities uh, when I have them is like trying to help them understand how important this tech is. And everybody has like their different, uh, like the amount of time that it takes them to feel comfortable with it, right? So I think it, it says a lot about you and, and how much of a forward thinker you are on being able to do it within 72 hours. Because uh, I remember even back in February when I was still like pounding the table, telling people to buy NFTs and how this was going to be super disruptive technology. People 
were still laughing at me. Although still like by February, I think people were starting to at least pay attention. But um, definitely, uh, I commend you on that because I think, you know, it takes balls to, to kind of go out there, especially to pivot a huge organization um, that early on. Yeah, I mean, that is once you understand the technology and you understand the nature of a community, then it gets a lot easier. You know, for somebody that isn't looking at, at as, looking at it as a technology, I get why they really struggle to like figure out why this works. But, you know, back at Quest, we were beginning to ask some of the same questions that Web3 answers now. We just didn't know that the blockchain was going to come along and answer that question. So it's something that I've been pondering for a while about how do you reward a community? Because so we we understood early social media and that made a very big difference. I mean, if I were going to um, point at one thing that that really helped generate my success, it was understanding social media as a community tool before most other businesses and how content played into that. And so because my success is really predicated on an understanding of community, once I knew what blockchain technology did, it just plugged in to that idea so perfectly. And I think that's really what gave me um, the ability to move fast. Because if I was really forward thinking, I probably would have thought of blockchain technology. Uh, <laughs> but alas, not so much. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's really interesting. And so my my question to you then was what what about web3 tech um do you see as like the not like the let's say at this point what are you most excited about with web3 that uh let's say you were limited by web2 so this is my favorite conversation and this is one man if you're an entrepreneur listening to this uh this is gonna set you free and allow you to do something absolutely extraordinary so here's what you have to do. If you're trying to disrupt an entrenched incumbent, like I am, right, with Disney, fucking massive company. So you have to look for that moment where they either don't understand or institutionally cannot afford to understand and that that's where all the cultural energy is going to go. So what Web3 is, like abstract it from the technology layer for a second, just understand what's happening psychologically. What's happening psychologically is that you're giving the community the ability to capture a massive amount of the long tail value of the products and companies that they support. That's never been true before. So when people supported Quest, it was they were stoked to be an early adopter and to have found something that worked and to be able to bring it into their gym or their PTA meeting or whatever and say, hey, I found this thing. It tastes like it has sugar, but it doesn't. Right. You can actually. Um, use it as a part of a weight loss regimen or whatever. And so it, it exploded. It took off like wildfire because it was real. And you had people that wanted to be the first to tell you. About uh, but yeah, one thing I thought that you said that was super interesting was the fact that uh, uh, understanding the psychology of NFTs, because I really do think that's where a lot of people uh, get messed up, right? Is that they miss out on the whole human psychology. They see that this tech is amazing and that it's incredible, but really um, what ends up happening is that uh, we're all just humans at the end of the day uh, interacting with each other. And all that we're really creating here is uh, a new way for all of us to community build, uh, which is why I'm, I'm super stoked with, with what um, you're doing. Uh, and I know we spoke a little bit last week and, and this week uh, regarding that. 
Uh, so if you, if you could, could you go over a little bit about um, the Founders Key and, and the drop that you just completed earlier this week? Yeah, for sure. So as a media company, we know that we're going to be releasing a lot of IP. And IP stands for intellectual property. It's just a fancy way of saying the stories that you love. So think about Star Wars, The Matrix, uh, Naruto, One Piece. Um, those are the kinds of stories that we want to tell. And we wanted to create something that was foundational to all of that IP, where we could give people different levels of access to all the things that we're going to create in the coming decades. So we wanted to create something now that we would support forever. And the way that I said it to my team was, imagine if Walt Disney, when he was just getting started, had just finished Steamboat Willie and was able to mint all of the different cells uh, of that animation. So the different frames of that. And if he could have sold those and then said, Hey, one day uh, I'm going to release, you know, features, I'm going to have a theme park. And if you have one of those frames from that movie, then you can come on a Saturday when nobody else can come or you get early access to a movie or whatever the case may be. And that's what we wanted to do with the keys was really build out a level of utility that nobody has seen. And so we have seven categories of utility that depending on which of the three um, tiers of keys you have, you get access to all kinds of different things from early access to exclusive access, free access, um, all kinds of discounts, perks, that kind of stuff. And so as we roll out our incredibly ambitious roadmap, which by the way, we did not need the sales of the keys to fund our roadmap. So um, it will be a far more aggressive rollout than people are used to uh, because, for instance, the keys sold last week and our first drop of one of our IPs, a project called Mary Mods, uh, is November 8th. So this is, you know, within three weeks of people buying that, we're already dropping our first major project that we've been working on, you know, for months and months and months. Uh, so it'll be really fun to show people, you know, what is possible when you have the funding to do the roadmap with or without and it's really just an accelerant to have the uh, sale of the actual product so um, i'm excited for people to see what what we're really capable of and and what's merry mods that's coming out in two weeks three weeks so merry mods is a uh, holiday themed franchise so it will be everything from it'll start as an nft project we already have some short animation that we're working on um, and then we are working on a full-length feature screenplay um, that we've attached um, you know hollywood writers to we have former executive uh from disney we've stolen people from netflix like we've we've really got a a killer creative team um, working out on that project and several others. And uh, it will also end up being a mobile game that's, you know, obviously a couple years in the future. Um, but yeah, that's the, the near-term vision for the project. But we have a roadmap. We have a detailed roadmap up to three years. And then we have some longer-term things uh, built out to five years. So this is a project that, you know, again, whether it succeeds or fails, at the sales point is irrelevant for us. 
the NFTs is just one of the ways to engage the community. And I've got a, a whole diatribe, which you can, if, if you have questions about, I'll happily go into, but I'll spare you um, sort of the long thing about why community is so useful for what we're doing. Uh, but it's a way for us to engage the community, to give them something that they can reap the long tail benefits of. Uh, but one way or the other, we're, we're developing this into a franchise. Yeah, so I think that that's, that's really cool. I wanted to bring this up later in the combo, but I think this is the perfect time to bring it up now is, uh, you know, how, I mean, it seems like you really, obviously with, with your film degree background and, and that, like, you really are interested in disrupting media, right? And using Web3 to disrupt it. Um, how do you think, uh, obviously, uh, by selling the NFTs, you can kind of pre-fund development and stuff. But I guess long term, right? Like, how do you think that media gets disrupted uh, with, let's say, like new IP that gets created over time? Like, we're starting to see that already uh, of new IP assets that are built on chain. But where do you really see it going long term from here? So the real juice that people need to pay attention to is the ability to incentivize the community and to align their incentives with yours. So the one thing you can trust everybody to do is see the world through their own lens and to pursue their own incentives. I don't think that's bad. I think that's just the way that the world works. And so what we're trying to do is create properties and that the audience that we need to be big believers in what we're doing uh, and the way that I explain it is imagine, so right now I don't have any plans to build out a competitive Netflix. So I'm not trying to be um, a platform that distributes the finished product that would take an ungodly amount of financial resources at this point to um, do that. So we're going to have to go and convince a Netflix or somebody like that to um, pick up Mary Mods or any one of the other projects that we have in development. But if when I go, um, I've got 5,000 people standing in the parking lot holding a sign that says, I'll watch anything that Impact Theory makes, then I'm at a huge advantage compared to other people. And this is something that I learned back at Quest, which is whoever's closest to the audience controls the negotiation. And that would be a phenomenal place to be. Or we're doing a lot of our projects we develop first as comic books, uh, a whole reason why we do that. But Again, it's a very different negotiation if I go in with what's called the spec script and I just say, nobody's ever heard of this, but you know, we think it's a great idea versus, hey, this is a comic first and we've built the screenplay or the series around the comic and a million people a week read that comic. That's a very different negotiation. And what NFTs and Web3 allows you to do is create a product that the audience, the community is going to reap the in our case, 90% of the long tail value. So 90% of the value that'll be generated by the keys over time for the next decades uh, will go to them. And, you know, we capture a very small percentage of that um, to, you know, be able to support it in an ongoing fashion. But the fact that the audience is able to reap the financial benefits of that product and the growth in the product and the growth in the business, it's unlike anything we've ever seen. And most traditional companies, whether media or otherwise, will not be able to make that emotional leap. They're just not going to be willing to let the audience capture that revenue. And we have a hypothesis that that's a catastrophic error on their part that we'll be able to leverage to build a far more engaged community. Okay, so I, I think that's really cool. 
uh, and I, I really agree with that long term. I just I guess I have a couple of questions that uh, I'm just thinking of because you're saying like the community in uh, capturing the revenue. So does that mean like the let's say the key holders or uh, the owners of the NFTs themselves will be getting like a, a portion of revenue share? No. So the SEC would shut us down if we did that. Um, yeah. So this isn't <laughs> it's the long tail value of the product, not the company. So what we're doing is so take the keys, for instance, one, the keys are a collectible. So you have 20,000 unique keys. No two are the same. Uh, so it has collectible value. But because it's a utility play, it also has a tremendous amount of ongoing value. So for instance, the legendary tier, just right now in the near term, they get three free mints. So if they wanted to do a free mint of Mary Mods, now imagine that we build out Mary Mods and it becomes the next hit Christmas franchise and it comes back around every year and it makes itself a part of the fabric uh, you know, of the culture. You can imagine that that NFT is going to have a tremendous amount of value and it's something they got for free because they're a holder of the key. So we've got a whole roadmap of things like that um, that we're doing that they either get early access to, exclusive access, free access, discounted access, um, so on and so forth, that they'll be able to either have and hold as they see fit. Uh, they can certainly sell things. Uh, so the way that I explain it to people so that people understand that we're very cognizant of SEC, uh, what SEC rules there are. Obviously, there's not a lot in the space in terms of clarity for NFTs, but we're trying to be very careful. Um, so one, it's, it is a product, a complete product that you know has utility. Um, but over time, if you think of it like a car, I'm selling you a car. Now, that car happens to come with a trailer. If you want to sell the trailer and you don't need the trailer, go for it. Um, I'm also going to give you, at some point, a golden steering wheel. Now, if you want to keep the golden steering wheel and put it in the car, by all means, that's what it's designed for. But if you're perfectly happy with the steering wheel that you currently have, then you can sell the golden steering wheel. Uh, and you're going to be the one capturing that revenue, not us. Um, and so by baking into this a collectible aspect and a utility aspect, You've now got something that even if it went down in value as a collectible could still be worth a tremendous amount because of the utility that it gives you. And so essentially what people are counting on is that the projects we're going to create are going to matter so that when we drop Mary Mods, that people are going to want it and that they're going to want it more next year than they want it this year and that they're going to want it more in year three than they do in year two and that will be able to do that. And look, the reality is we won't be able to do that with all of our projects. I'd love to stand here and tell you that we can, but in any creative endeavor, you should expect a fair amount of failure. Um, and all we can do is make them the best that we can make them. And what I'm banking on is that we'll be able to do that so frequently and that people will benefit so tremendously from the products that we create that the reputation of the company will be such that when we release a product that people get into it and they get into it fast. And so one of the things that we're being very careful to do is reward early adopters. And, um, you know, for anybody that wants evidence of that, you need only join our discord. Um, and you can see all the things that we've done just in the, you know, the like six or seven days at this point, I guess, uh, that the keys have been in existence. Um, you know, we really understand the value of setting the bar ridiculously high and then surpassing all expectations.
Okay. All right. That makes that makes so much sense. Uh, the, I have a lot. I just sorry. I just have a ton of questions. So I guess no, my first question is, um, how many Mary mods will you be? I guess uh, distributing this year, and then is there is that something that am I issuing more Mary mods uh, like in further years or out years or whatever down the road? We haven't announced um, what we're going to be doing with this drop so uh, stay tuned we'll be announcing that as we get closer okay but um okay in terms of the uh we will not dilute whatever we do in the the first drop so will there potentially be ways for us to add on in the way that like the board apes did where you've got the board apes which are their own thing the yeah apes are something different i won't rule that out um that isn't our current strategy so our current strategy is to um, give some sort of advantage to people that hold that in subsequent moments. Like this is a bit of leaked alpha for you. Um, there will be three things that are attached to the initial drop of Mary mods. And so, um, it'll be very interesting to see how people respond to that kind of mechanic. So I won't go more into what that means yet. I will just tell people to, to watch closely. You know, we're trying to set the standard. We're trying to show ways for, um, for, companies to deepen the relationship between the holders and the um, products that they hold and at the same time be very careful not to dilute the brand or to um, end its feeling of exclusivity which is obviously as a collectible is a critical part of that yeah so yeah i mean the reason why i asked that is because this is something i've thought about a lot was you know, like right now, the magic number is 10,000, right? That's where, uh, that's for some reason that happens to be the sweet spot in the space at the moment, uh, because it's just rare enough, but it's big enough that a community can form around it. But obviously, as uh, if crypto does what we think it's going to do, and we think, and if, if NFTs do what we think they're going to do, uh, 10,000 is obviously be massively small. So one thing that I've been thinking about a lot, and like when I talk to uh, the creators of communities. And I'd love to know your thought on this because you've obviously been able to already build a massive community in the web two world. And I'd love to know your thoughts of how you're thinking about it. Like over time, right? Like how do you make that, let's say the Mary mods uh, still accessible for the person that finds out about it five years from now, but still re retain value for like the people that were there from day one? Yeah, that's going to be the magic formula. And so the I'll give it the code name deepen the relationship. So the problem that everyone is going to have to solve is how do you create new entry points for people? If these projects do what we want and their floor price price goes up, then, you know, there's no way for anybody new to get into that community. Um, as you evolve a project in the world of IP, the easy way to think of it is as you add new characters, then you, if you can section it off well, then you have an opportunity to deepen the relationship with your current holders. Um, and then if you're willing to let the community decide how that's going, what the value of that item is, now you've got something. And so what I think the key item is for any entrepreneurs watching right now and thinking about or, you know, I'll, I'll put all NFT creators in that bucket, trying to figure out what you do. Um, the key is if you are making sure that you privilege the people in your community, but 
create opportunities for more people to join your community over time, that's the way that you have to do it. And I think the secret to that is making sure that the holders that bet on you early, and I want people to really associate that idea with me, with impact theory, with every drop we do, I care deeply about people getting involved early. So if you get involved early, then that's the kind of thing that we want to make sure that we we reward. Now, I'm not going to hold myself to what we're going to be doing, you know, next Christmas as we come back around to Merry Mods, uh, but it's going to look something like that. Make sure the community is reaping the vast majority of the rewards of anything new that you enter into the ecosystem. Let them, based on what they hold, based on what they sell, determine what the new entry point is for new people coming into the marketplace. Um, and you do it like that. And we will have to figure out together as a community what people can hold. But the real answer is how do you let it expand over time to match increased demand, but keep it exclusive and not dilute what is already out there? Or if there is any amount of dilution, that all of that dilution is captured by the community that's already in it. So that if the floor were to go down slightly, they don't care because the value that they got from whatever new thing you introduced gave them more than they lost. And as long as they feel in control of that, and as long as the scoreboard shows that they're coming out ahead, I think you've got to win. Do I think that that's going to be an easy line to walk? No. Do I think that we will make mistakes as we find the answer? Yes. Um, do I think that we will have added so much value to our community that they will rock with us through that? Yes. Right. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me because I think I, one of the most interesting things I've been seeing about all these communities that are that are popping up is how different founders or different creators are going about uh, like rewarding their day ones. And I, I think as so now so far, I think board apes have done a really good job at, you know, issuing the mutant apes afterwards and, you know, working working with that. And we're going to see how that works long term. Uh, but I definitely think that myself and, you know, a lot of people like yourself and, and other big creators in the space will will definitely be watching that. Um, I, I My question, oh, well, let me just uh, remind people for the POAPs, there's a little over 10 minutes left. If you go to g.money forward slash POAP, P-O-A-P, you can collect the POAP for, for today's uh, podcast. Uh, but the question that I have for you is um, what what's the difference that you've seen in uh, – the the way uh, people have been responding to your Web3 community and how much more involved they've been than like the Web2 just by giving making them uh, stakeholders. It, it's it's a hundred X. This is this is a tectonic shift in the way the business is going to be done. And yeah, I, I could not be more bullish on this. I cannot overstate how different it is building a community based on web three versus based on web two. Um, there's a whole philosophical discussion to be had around why web three is resonating so hard right now in society, uh, which I find utterly fascinating, but yeah, it is not a small difference. It is absolutely massive. Wait, let's, let's talk about that. Why do you think web three is resonating so hard? In society? <sighs> okay. G money. I'm going to say if I go too deep on this. Just fucking jump in and interrupt me because this is my uh, I'm so into this. I idea. love I love going. Deep. All right, so here we go. I love going. Deep. Here's what's happening uh, for the last, I don't know, 12 years, 13 years or something. 
Um, it's been really acute, but this has probably been going on for 20, 25 years. There's a sense of fuck the man. And you have Eric Weinstein, who I think is absolutely incredible, said something, though, that I, I think misreads human nature, which is this. He said, you know, I think a big part of the tension between the generations right now is that the old generation isn't ceding power to the new generation. And when I heard him say that, I thought, ooh, that's, that, that isn't human nature, man. Human nature, people clutch onto power as hard as they can. You have to pry it from their cold, dead fingers. But historically, so much of the movements of the world required physical strength and a lot of stamina that the young people had in spades and old people just sort of naturally got brushed aside because they couldn't keep up anymore. But now what you're getting as the world automates and as technology gets stronger, all of a sudden it's about information. And if you have more knowledge, which old people will, then you're going to have a hard time beating them at their own game. And so now it's, they have to die before the power is handed off. And that is creating a new dynamic between the generations where there is a lot of frustration as people come into the workplace and they cannot wrestle that power away in the way that they used to be able to do. And so if you understand earthquakes, what ends up happening is you've got two plates rubbing against each other. In this example, these are the generations. They are rubbing against each other. Now, you get a lot of potential energy building up in those plates as the tension increases, but they haven't slipped yet. And then when they do finally slip and that potential energy is actuated, you get an earthquake and we all feel it. And it's insane. Web three is that earthquake. Satoshi writes a white paper in 2008 or whenever it was. And after seeing the housing bubble burst and seeing all this fucking insanity was just like, nope, fuck the man. Like we're doing this a different way. And now as the world wakes up to the fact that you can digitize fucking money, you can literally just decide, Hey everybody, if you agree with me and fuck the man, then we're going to create a money that steps outside of that entire ecosystem. It relies on this thing called the blockchain. Now, to understand the money, you have to understand the technology of the blockchain. Once you understand the technology of the blockchain, you realize you don't just have to say fuck the man on money. You say fuck the man on everything. And so now it's like this rush to have a way to take back power because the young generation, it actually isn't about being young. It's about being open-minded, but people tend to become closed-minded as they get older because techniques work for them and so they keep using them and as you use them it calcifies into dogma and you don't think beyond the way that you've always done things now when you get that tectonic shift and it is changing so fucking rapidly and it requires you to reconceptualize the entire world most people cannot do it as they age but this is actually open-minded versus calcified that's the real thing happening right now is the rate of change has become so insane that people can't keep up. To give you a stat, in 1961, if you made it onto the S&P 500, you were going to stay there on average for 61 years. Now, that number is almost 12 years, and it shows no sign of slowing down. The world is just moving. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with that. I think uh, I think what, what you say is, is super interesting because I noticed I come from uh, – an equities background and you know so i've been trading the, in stocks for the last 15 20 years and so one of the things i really noticed last year with uh, the rise of the meme stocks like amc and, and gamestop was for the first time you had like the youth of it didn't matter if you were a dem or a republican or whatever right like what your political belief was it was kind of like fuck the man like fuck these guys that developed this system that's rigged against us 
And that was the first time I think in, I don't know, maybe 60 or 70 years that we've seen like a united front from like the youth where it's like people under the age of 35 were like banding together uh, instead of being divided, being, you know, based on whatever your political beliefs are or, or what you think. Uh, to me, like that was probably one of the first initial uh, hints I saw of like, wow, this is going to be really powerful, right? Because no matter what side, where you stand politically, um, at the end of the day, we all want that opportunity to, to do what we want with life and not necessarily be held down by the system. And that to me was probably like the first sign where I'm like, oh yeah, like I, you should, we should definitely be paying attention to this. Right. And this was definitely before I got into NFTs, before I knew what NFTs were, because this was uh, early on during the pandemic, but you can just see that, you know, the youth is like looking for that change. So I definitely totally agree with, with your thought process with that. Yeah. Now companies just have to deploy and the companies that get this right, will own the future. Yeah. I mean, so I get, so what do you think of, what do you think of Facebook's moves with, uh, with everything that, that Mark Zuckerberg has been doing with, with, uh, the rebranding and focusing on the metaverse, say what you will, but Zucks sees the future clearly. Now, whether he's a dystopian future or not is a question (laughs) that as a community, we all get to decide, you know, and that's the thing, like he can't do something unless we want it to be done, right? So take Amazon and you can hate Amazon all you want, but I guarantee you're buying your toilet paper off Amazon. It's just like, it's so easy and they've made things so cheap that people hate them and use them all at the same time. So if people don't use Facebook, they're not going to own the metaverse. The only way they will own the metaverse is if they do it better and people use it. So it is, it is a huge question. I think that, you know, given what they've done with the Oculus, it's like, I'm not mad, man. They're bringing amazing technology to the forefront. And even if, um, you know, what ends up happening is that people take that technology and build something superior, I am grateful to them for having introduced something at a low price that brings people in and gets energy into that space. Um, so I think, look, there's going to be a lot of people that contribute. I don't think they'll ever be able to dominate. I think the in a distributed future, the best thing is going to win. Um, and I don't know, I'll, I'll be mildly optimistic and I don't own Facebook shares or anything like that. So I have no reason to, you know, to care one way or the other, but at least he's acknowledging that no one entity should own the metaverse. And so that's encouraging. Um, but I'm certainly aware of the track record. Yeah, no, I, I, so I think, uh, one of the most interesting, uh, comments I I read today on Twitter was from Chris Dixon, where he said, it's not a coincidence that the only web two giant taking web two web three seriously is also the only one that still is founder led. Um, so, I mean, I, I do have to give Mark like a ton of credit for having the vision, you know, he bought Oculus, uh, I don't know how many years ago, but when people were like laughing at him uh, and they really just, they just gave him, cut him slack because he made an amazing purchase with Instagram over 10 years ago. And like, yeah, well, you know, you got to give him the opportunity to do it again because he obviously was right last time, you know, but, uh, but to your point, I totally agree with, with regards to them making a, a very uh, consumer focused, low entry product, uh, that is good, right? That like, I remember the, I bought an Oculus cause I walked into Costco and it was right there and I'm like, all right, well, you know, I, you know, it's time to get into the metaverse anyway. So like, let me mess around with it. 
right? And it was super, it was at, at a, a relatively affordable price point. Yeah, it and dude, when, if I want to get myself absolutely giddy and give myself chills, I just start thinking about what's going to happen in AR, especially like, it is, uh, it's, it's incredible. Like the future is so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 so are you focused on building stuff for AR with what you're working on as well? Money, are, are you trying to get me to give away all my secrets here? Uh, I will say this. Yes. You, <laughs> I, I will be very clear. AR is the most exciting thing happening right now when you factor it into NFTs. Now I'll let you decide what I'm doing with that information. Okay. All right. That that's, that's great. Like, cause I, I just think that, I think that AR is going to come like, um, like we're going to quote unquote, think it came out of nowhere, right? Where one day we're going to have like AR glasses and everything will be like right there for us. Cause we're building all that tech and infrastructure out now. Um, so like, even though I think you could probably make a case that VR is winning right now, I think AR will, will catch up, um, from a, like, let's say, a connected vision point of view relatively quickly. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. I think AR is going to, as you said, come out of nowhere. It's going to shock people. Um, and it will, I think that's going to happen first. And once people start just running the scenarios in their mind, like VR captured the imagination of the public. But AR is where, when I really think about as a creator, what do I want to do? I want to be in your everyday world. And so the second that Apple AR glasses come out, the, the sucking sound of talent pouring into that space will be insane. Like I'm already like, yeah, very, very watching very closely where the technology is going in that. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, so I guess taking that a, a little step further, right? So it's like, what do you think? is going to be the tipping point for us as a community to kind of start going mainstream for like for NFTs, for people to accept NFTs on a more mainstream basis. I think it's already happened. You know, I think March was that tipping point. And, you know, you remember what it was like. It was all of a sudden it felt like everybody knew what an NFT was. And now it's just the way that the adoption of this kind of disruptive technology goes, it's, even three years, which is a breakneck pace, when you're living through the three years, feels like an eternity. But that's, you know, once you're looking back at it, it's really tiny. I think we've already hit it. And I think what's happening in cryptocurrency right now will prove to the world that value can be made digital. And once the mainstream goes, oh, okay, I buy that value can be made digital, then you begin this really interesting mind virus. And G-Money, I'm going to guess that you had the same thing happen to you. So I collected pins on Pinterest for years. I have thousands of them. Never showed them to anybody because I didn't feel like I owned them. But once NFTs came out, I was like, wait, now the very thing that I've been collecting, you can tell me that I can have a one of one and it's mine, even though everybody else can still see it. The fact that I feel like I own it changes everything. And so now, even I'm surprised by this. If you said, Tom, you can have a one-of-one -one physical piece of art or a one-of-one -of, -one of the same piece of art, but digitally, which would you rather have? My brain has rewired itself. I now get a bigger dopamine response 
from something virtual than I do from something physical. I wouldn't have bet that that was going to be true. Now, that doesn't mean physical things don't hold value to me. They still do. But the virtual version of it has become more valuable for one reason. Now, I'm not a big like flex on people guy, but it does not hurt my feelings that when people go into my wallet, that they can see that I've got dope shit and that they can see it from anywhere, anywhere. Like I'm right now, I'm standing in front of a wall with all these collectibles. You have to come to my house or I guess now because I do stuff on camera, you can see it behind me. But if you really want to look at them, you have to come to my house to see it. Whereas my NFT wallet, you can go and see from anywhere. And so now we have this ability to, I mean, let's, you know, stop thinking about flexing and just show people like what we're into, right? Like you can see what I'm into. You can see the kind of things that I respond to. And so that, like, if you look at my curio cards, you're going to see which curio cards I bought and like, why those, but you'll see a pattern. And so it's like, you begin to really understand something about somebody in this like really cool way that can be viewed from anywhere. It's just cooler now. So you factor in, dude, cryptocurrency is popping off. There is a hyper degree of awareness now in the space. And then to some percentage of the world, this really magical transition happens where they go from getting a way bigger dopamine response from something they can touch to a way bigger dopamine response to something that they can show to somebody halfway around the world. And all of those things are already happening. I think it's a foregone conclusion at this point. So I, I agree with you. I think they will be going mainstream. I don't think we're there yet. Like when I talk to normal people, uh, you know, non, non-crypto nerds like myself and yourself, um, they, a lot of people still don't know what NFTs are. And I still have to explain, like I still have the explanation uh, of what an NFT is a lot. And so like that to me, like I, I agree with you. I think that we will go mainstream uh, sooner rather than later because I think like for me, my my aha moment was what the first time I played Fortnite and I was playing with my friend's nephew and he first question he asked me was what skins did you buy? And I'm like skins, like, you know, they don't give me any special powers. I'm not buying any skins, but like I saw, you know, he's switching his skin every game that, which is every like 15 to 20 minutes. And so it's like, wow, like this kid's going to be totally okay with complete digital ownership, right? Like he sees that skin as an outfit change, right? The same way that like I'll wear something somewhere and I'll go home and get changed for the next thing. And that's the future, right? And to your point is like being able to, and, and that was kind of my thesis with, with punks where, you know, my, my, my thesis was that by the end of the cycle, people wouldn't necessarily be saying when Lambo, because if you can only show off your Lamborghini to like, you know, your, your, your neighbors and the people that you interact with, but you really can't show it off to the people that you spend most of your time with interacting on a day-to-day basis, then like, what's, you know, do you even own it? Right. Like, and, and that's just for better or worse. I think that's part of human nature, right? No doubt. Yeah. The way I see it is, um, you started that snowball effect and now it's like the avalanche hasn't obliterated the town yet in terms of, you know, everybody being in on it, but it's already coming down the hill and there is no stopping it at this point. Right. Yes. No, I, I, I agree. That's a really good analogy. I'm, I'm going to start using that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I know we have a couple minutes before you go. Um, and, but I want to talk about, you know, you, you, you talk, you're very passionate about reaching kids during the age of imprinting. 
Uh, and, you know, I know you work a lot with underprivileged children. And, you know, what's, what do you think is the best way to help get them into the space? To, you know, how do we work on getting a more diverse group of people into the space? It's all psychology. So you've got to hit them with things that they love and want. You can't ask them to care about it for any other reason than this is dope. And when you hit people there, this is the exact same thesis that we had at Quest, which was I want to make food that people choose based on taste and it happens to be good for them. So I already know people are going to watch movies, they're going to play video games, they're going to buy NFTs. And so now if I can have a layer to that, that empowers them, then even better. And so when I think about how my own life has been changed, not, you know, I mean, ultimately it got changed by books and things like that. But in the beginning, it was just changed by stories that I love. So Star Wars gave me Yoda. Yoda led me to Taoism. Taoism changed my life. The Matrix became the dominant metaphor of my 20s as I went through the phase of like, I feel like I'm a loser. I'm not capable of anything, you know, but I want something more. I would just keep coming back to the matrix and this idea of like jacking in and downloading skills and that combined with reading about the brain and understanding neuroplasticity. I was like, this actually is real. It doesn't happen as fast, much to my dismay, but it's real. Like you can learn Kung Fu. You can learn to fly a helicopter. And that idea changed my life. And so embedding these ideas in stories, you know, but I didn't go to the matrix because I thought, oh, this is going to be important for me. I went to the matrix to look fucking cool. And so creating stuff that people can just enjoy, it's just entertaining, but then it has that layer. That's the, that's the key. So I, so one quick question is, do you think we're living in the matrix? I don't. And I think it would be cooler if I did believe that. And it would certainly be way more on brand for me. Um, even though mathematically, I know that statistically speaking, it is far more likely that we're in a simulation than we're not. I just, I would be lying if I said that any instinct that I had leads me to believe that. So I love it as a thought exercise. But I don't think it's actually true. All right, cool. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for coming on the show. Um, you know, the, I think the drop went really well. I, I think it went really smooth. Actually, after we, we had our prep call earlier in the week, I, I bought the uh, the legendary. The top tier was already sold out, but I bought the other two tiers. Um, I bought a few of those uh, just because I really think what you're doing is interesting. And, you know, I, I think the community that you've built um, already uh, in the Web2 world and bringing that to the Web3 world, I think is going to be super powerful. And I, I think also just in the Discord, I, I know I was talking with a couple people from your team of they were talking about how people were joining and like kind of forming companies and, and associations, which I, I, I assume as an entrepreneur yourself, you probably love seeing that and empowering people to do that. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, so yeah. So yeah, thank you for taking the time. Dude, thanks for uh, having are me Are you going to be in? Thank you so much for the support and picking up keys. That really means a lot. Um, so yeah, super grateful. Great. And I'm going to be in New York City for NFT NYC, as I'm sure probably a lot of people that are that are listening in. So hopefully we get a chance to meet there. Would love that. I will definitely be there. Okay, awesome. Thanks for your time. Thank Tom. you, man. Have a good one. All right. Bye. bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Cutting Edge. Subscribe to stay up to date on our latest episodes. To catch the show live, follow me on Twitter at GMoneyNFT 
and tune in every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitter Spaces.